Hi, my name is Willie, and I'm one of the pastors here at Wellington. Thanks for joining us today as we continue in our series, The Beautiful Way, looking at the book of Matthew. Today I have the opportunity to speak to you about Matthew chapter 3, verses 13 to 17, the baptism of Jesus. Let's just stop for a minute and pray and ask God what he wants to say to us today. Father, I thank you that we can enjoy the beauty of your creation. I thank you that we can come to you from this place and ask you to speak into our hearts today. What is that you want to say and teach us that it impacts our lives when we look at at the baptism of Jesus? So Father, we come to you knowing that you will speak, expecting you to speak into our lives. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All of us go through life and experience what I would call marker events. What do I mean by a marker event? A marker event is the kind of event that creates a mark in your life, that creates a memory, something that impacts you probably forever. Now, some of our marker events can be the very difficult things that we go through. Uh, We remember them. They mark us. But we can also have very positive marker events. Some marker events, I would say, happen unintentionally. They're great surprises. Uh, One of the marker events in my life was the the, uh, mentor that I met and created a relationship with in my internship. Uh, That relationship with this man, his name was Merv, uh, impacted me from that day forward and and his impact on my life continues to this day. I would say another great marker event or relationship that happened was the relationship that my wife Gwen and I have formed with our daughters-in-law. Now, we didn't choose our daughters-in-law, our boys chose really well, but we love that relationship that we have with them. And it's become a marker kind of event, a marker relationship. Now, other marker events or experiences are very intentional. So our decision to move to California to go to grad school created a marker event. Those three years impacted us profoundly in our relationships and our education and our preparation uh, for ministry. Another marker event in my life was my baptism. Why was it such a marker event? Well, meeting Jesus changed everything for me. It put me on a new direction, a whole new focus, a new understanding of who I was in relationship with Christ because of what he had done for me through his death and resurrection and then being adopted into God's family. In a baptism, I was able to actually declare that in front of my faith family, in front of my home church. People had seen me grow up. People had impacted my life. And it was such a privilege, such an honor to be baptized there. And that impacted the direction of my life from that day forward. You see, baptism declares direction. That's part of what baptism does. And that's what happened in Jesus' life. In the first marker event in Jesus' life that is recorded in the Bible, of his adult life anyway, is his baptism. And we know that in Matthew chapter 3, verse 13, we're told that Jesus made a very intentional choice to go and see John the Baptist to get baptized. In fact, the text tells us in verse 13 that Jesus traveled from Galilee up to the Jordan River where John was baptizing. If you look at history, it will tell you that that, that, uh, that trip was roughly 100 kilometers. Now, it probably 100 kilometers generally takes about 20 hours to walk. The terrain that Jesus was walking on was hilly, was rocky. Uh, it would have been hard work, probably hot traveling. Probably took him a few days to do so. It was obviously a very intentional choice. Well, to understand why this was so significant, why Jesus chose to walk 
all the way from Galilee over to the Jordan to see John, we have to take a look at the message that you would have heard last week from the beginning of Matthew chapter 3. Let me just read the first couple of verses there for you. It says, In those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. So John the Baptist was calling the Jews to repent and be baptized. Why? Because God was at work. The kingdom of heaven was at hand. The kingdom that the Jewish people had been waiting for for centuries. And John quotes Isaiah the prophet to say, this is what is happening. This is what John was declaring. This is what he was preparing the way for. And then he continues on in verses 11 and 12. And John says, I baptize you with water for repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear in his, his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So we have this incredible depiction of the one who John is the forerunner for. We have this great picture uh, that John paints of the one who is coming after him, who is so much greater than he is. And then in chapter, or chapter 3, verse 13, we have this very simple opening statement in verse, three, which sa- or in verse 13, which says, Then Jesus went to the Jordan. So John is telling us who will come after him, the one who is greater than him, the one whose sandals he shouldn't even be tying up, the one who is so much more than he is, the one that he is paving the way for. And then the text says, Then Jesus went to the Jordan. Such an understatement. And the adverb that is used then probably should have, there probably should have been a different choice of words then. Like, therefore, or thus, or consequently. Something much more dramatic. Something much more significant. Because it is saying that John is paving the way for the one who is to come. The one who will usher in the kingdom of heaven. The one who is so much greater than John is. And that one is Jesus. Because the kingdom of God is at hand. Because Jesus is the one who will usher in the new kingdom. And so, after John preaches, Jesus shows up on the scene. The one that John prophesied. Now, don't miss this point. Baptism, then and now, is not simply a religious ceremony. It's not simply a ritual. Baptism for Jesus and for us is making a statement that declares the direction our lives are headed in. In this short text, these short four verses are so much more than simply a description of Jesus' baptism. It's Jesus' declarative act announcing his mission to the world and the far-reaching implications for all of humanity. That's actually what's going on here. It's not simply saying, this is what happened. It is actually the shouting, the, the the announcement of a new mission, the mission of Jesus declaring that the kingdom of God is at hand. And we can see how important this is by John's reaction to Jesus' arrival. So Jesus shows up, joins all these other people who are there getting baptized. John recognizes him, and Jesus walks forward, and John says in verse, or Jesus says to John, 
uh, or John says rather to Jesus, I need to be baptized by you and, and do you come to me? It says in verse 14. In other words, John's recognizing who Jesus is, that he's the one that John has been preaching about. And John is looking at Jesus saying, why are you asking to be baptized by me? I should be being baptized by you. That's what John says. Because why? John is preaching or baptizing with water. John is baptizing for repentance. He said about Jesus, who will be the Messiah, he will baptize with Holy Spirit and with fire. John is saying, no, Jesus, you have it wrong. I should be baptized by you, not you being baptized by me. It doesn't make sense, Jesus. This doesn't work. I don't understand this. It's not how it should be. And Jesus answers John in in verse 15 when he says, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. So what does that mean? What does that mean? What is Jesus talking about when he says, No, John, it has to be this way because there's a bigger story at play. We're going to fulfill the righteousness that God demands, that God wants. So Jesus is telling John, John, you're right. You've actually figured this out that really, I'm not the one who should be baptized by you, John, because I don't actually need to be baptized. But Jesus is saying there's a bigger story at play for him to fulfill all righteousness. I like how Pastor Tim Keller talks about it. He says, Jesus is telling John, I am here as a substitute. My main mission in life is not only to get baptized, even though I don't actually need it. I have come to repent in your place, John, and in the place of all people. I have come to live in your place and to fulfill all righteousness that God demands. I have come to die in your place so you can stand in my place, John. I'm going to take the curse that is on you and in in your place so that you can take the blessing that is in my place. See, baptism not only declares direction, baptism also identifies us with Jesus. Baptism identifies us with Jesus. Do you catch that? Jesus said that he is our substitute. See, Jesus did for us what we cannot do for ourselves. In being our substitute, he lived the life that we can't live. He took on the death that we can't die because if we do, it's permanent. Jesus lived the life that we can't live. He died the death that we can't die so that we can receive the reward that we can't earn. He took on our sin on himself and gave us his life. That's why this is so significant. What Jesus is declaring and saying, John, I'm going to identify with the sinners. I'm going to identify with the unrighteous. I'm going to identify with those who need to repent by taking in the baptism of repentance. You see, when we get baptized, we are not only declaring faith in Christ publicly, we are also identifying with the one who chose to identify with us first who took our place, which is what Jesus did. And this becomes increasingly important as we realize the full implications of baptism. See, when Jesus made the choice to be baptized, he was declaring his obedience and submission to God the Father. And Jesus' baptism initiated the mission of God in the world as the Messiah. In Jesus' baptism, he was declaring, Father, I'm 100% in. I'm all in. I submit my life to you. I trust you. I follow you. I will do exactly what it is that you sent me here to do. And when we enter the waters of baptism, we are declaring the same thing. We are saying, Jesus, I'm all yours. I'm all in, 100%. I've given my life to you. 
And we are also saying at the same time, no to anything that appeals for our allegiance, our worship, our time and attention that draws us away from God. We are, we are declaring what we are for, and we are also declaring what we will no longer participate in, anything that pulls us away from God. We are saying, God, I trust you with my life. I believe that you are sovereign over all. I choose to put my faith and trust in you. I am fully yours. I am committed to your mission in the world. Show me what to do and show me how to do it. So how did God the Father respond to, the, to Jesus' act of submission? Verses 16 and 17, which say, And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove, coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. You see, baptism teaches us who we are. Baptism teaches us who we are. God the Father not only affirmed his Son, he did so with great intentionality in three ways. First, immediately after Jesus came out of the water, the Holy Spirit rested on him and affirmed him as the Messiah and filled him with God's presence and power to carry out what God had given him to do. Matthew already pointed out earlier in his book the intimate relationship between Jesus and the Holy Spirit. The virgin birth of Jesus was by the power of the Spirit, Matthew chapter 1, verse 20. And the mission of Jesus is to baptize people with the Holy Spirit, and that was Matthew 3, verse 11. And it says, And now Spirit-filled Jesus who will impart the Holy Spirit to others, receive the Holy Spirit himself in a fresh anointing that marks both the beginning of his public ministry and the Father's equipping for that ministry. Now we can fulfill the will of the Father as the Messiah, who will, who will now preach the kingdom of God. After the Holy Spirit rests on Jesus, a voice comes from heaven to give Jesus a two-part blessing. The first blessing is the statement, this is my son, which is a reference actually to Psalm 2, verse 7, which every Jew accepted as a description of the Messiah, the mighty king of God who was to come. The second phrase, God the Father said, with whom I am well pleased, which is a reference to Isaiah chapter 42, the description of the suffering servant, which culminates in Isaiah chapter 53, where Isaiah describes the humble servant rejected, made to suffer and die, who is also seen as being ultimately victorious. This is a description of the ministry of the Messiah who will bring salvation to the world through his ministry, his death, and his resurrection. In that very short sentence, when God the Father said, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased, he is proclaiming identity. He is proclaiming affirmation. He is proclaiming mission. He is proclaiming empowerment both to the people who heard it all around them and to Jesus himself. In baptism, the, the three key affirmations that were made of Jesus, the impartation of the Spirit, that he was a chosen one of God, and that the way in front of him was the way of the cross, as Isaiah tells us. God says that the king is actually a servant, that the triumph will be judgment and victory will be defeat that Jesus has come to be a substitute, to take our place, that he lived exactly as we should live. Jesus' baptism is an example for us and shows us how we are to commit ourselves to the Father and to live the life that he invites us to, to live the life the way Jesus lived it, 
in the power of the Spirit, in complete dependence on the leading of the Spirit and in obedience to the Father. Jesus coming down in weakness was completely countercultural compared to the founder of every other world religion. Other founders have been purely examples, but Jesus came as a Savior. To be a Savior meant that he had to come in weakness, to take our place, to live in dependence on the Holy Spirit. And that is what he calls us to do. Jesus did not say, do this and you will live. Instead, he said, I will do everything. I will pay everything you need to pay. And because of that, you can have life. Jesus lived a righteous life and gave that life to you and to me, rather than telling us to live a righteous life and give that to God, because we can't do that. When we fail to see Jesus as our substitute, we begin to think that we can receive righteousness through our well-lived life. And if we do so, we're actually missing the point. What is the point? The point is not that you follow an example and earn God's acceptance. The point is that when you receive Jesus, when you put your faith and trust in his righteousness, you become a son or daughter of God that day, that instant. If you do that today, you become a son or daughter of God today. And when you do that, God says that you are utterly pleasing to him. That you, as my son or daughter, I am well pleased with you. I can't emphasize that strongly enough. The day you put your trust in and receive Jesus' forgiveness for your sins, you are a child of God. That is your identity. You see, baptism prepares us to live the beautiful way, the way that Jesus is talking about and preaching about throughout these chapters. What is the beautiful way? It is living the way of Jesus that gives expression to our identity as a member of God's family who is loved and accepted by God. The beautiful way is to live under God's rule in God's kingdom. Is that how you see yourself? Do you see yourself as a member of God's family? What is your self-image? What's it based on? Is it a Facebook or Instagram self-image that's not built on reality, but rather what you put in front of people? Your self-image will determine the depth of your relationship with God and with others, with your spouse, with your friends, with your children. If you derive your self-worth based on how well you do your job or from some kind of ministry success or how successful your kids are, uh, and if that's where you take your identity from, you will never fully experience the love that God has for you. Now, I didn't say you won't receive his love, but you will not fully experience his love. Why? Well, if your self-identity, if your self-image, your self-worth is based on anything other than your adoption into God's family, you will approach God out of that place that you try and build your self-image from, the self-image you're trying to create for yourself. So if my self-image comes out of my work, I will try and make myself acceptable to God in that way. It'll be, see God, see what I've done for you, you should accept me. If my self-image comes from pleasing, pleasing others, I will approach God from the perspective of saying, God, look at everything I'm doing. Don't you love me? Won't you bless me? If my self-image is based on self-sufficiency, I will go to God and say, God, I never ask much of you, but can't you help me out just this one time? Won't you take care of this issue in my life just this one time? If our self-image is based on anything other than our identity as a child of God, we will not know what it means to walk in intimate relationship with him. And we will likely not be able to walk in intimate relationship with others either. We live out of who we think we are. If we think we have no value, 
we will live like we have no value. If we think we are better than others, we will live like we think we are better than others. If we know that we are a loved child of God, we live knowing that we have nothing to prove because God has adopted us into his family and we can love others then the way God loves us. See, our self-image determines the depth of intimacy we experience with God and with others. It's what Jesus called us to when, when he answered the question, Lord, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus said, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength and all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You see, when we understand and believe that, that God has adopted us into his family, that we are utterly pleasing to him, we can become increasingly like Jesus. When we love God fully, we can love ourselves fully because we recognize we are made in the image of God. And when we come to that place of loving ourselves fully, understanding that we are adopted into God's family, then we are free to love others because we're not trying to prove something. We're not going for acceptance. We're not going for self-validation. We actually are simply giving away that which God has given to us, his full love, his full acceptance, the identity that we have in him. And then we can share openly with friends and, and uh, spouses because we're not trying to protect our image. We can shower praise and affection on our children because their actions do not determine our worth and value as parents. Why can we live this way? Because your value, my value, is in God and in being in a member of his family rather than trying to create value in my image through my efforts. If we're living in our identity as a member of God's family, we can discover the freedom of submission to God just the way Jesus did. Because Jesus trusted his father and was committed to his father's work in the world, he lived fully submitted to his father. Jesus knew that in submission, there is life. In submission, there is intimacy. In submission, there is blessing. That's what Jesus understood because he trusted his father fully. Here's what Jesus says to him. In the book of John, chapter 4, verse 34, Jesus said, My nourishment comes from doing the will of God, who sent me, and from finishing his work. Or John 6, 38, Jesus said, For I have come down from heaven to do the will of God who sent me, not to do my own will. 8:28 in John, Jesus said, I do nothing on my own, but say only what the Father taught me. In 1249 of the book of John, Jesus said, I don't speak my own authority. The Father who sent me has commanded me to what to say and how to say it. See, Jesus is our substitute, but he also shows us how to live, which is in submission to the Father, empowered by the Holy Spirit, walking in the leading of the Spirit for the glory of God and the benefit of others. Jesus submitted himself to the Father's plan. And how much more would it be beneficial for us if we did the same thing? As God's children, created in his image, created to have new life in Christ, which we are given when we put our faith and trust in Jesus. And then we can walk in submission to the Father and the leading of the Spirit. And if it's true for Jesus, would that not be true for you and for me? See, baptism is also a commissioning for a life of mission with Jesus. Once we give our, ourselves to him, then Jesus says, I have a mission for you. And the mission is to live out the kingdom of God. As he told us, I want you to go everywhere and tell every, everyone everything that I have taught you and baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And so when we are baptized, we are signing up for Jesus' mission in the world. And we get to participate 
in that because of that great exchange that Jesus did when he gave us his life and we gave him our unrighteousness. And when we pray, may it then be on earth as it is in heaven, just as Jesus taught us to pray. Baptism is often a spiritual high point followed by a spiritual struggle because Satan, our spiritual enemy, wants to immobilize us and cause our faith to weaken. So often when you get baptized, you have this great spiritual high and then in the coming weeks, often there is a struggle because we recognize the tension in the world. We recognize we're commissioned. We recognize we're in the family of God and Satan wants to do with us and attack us the same way he attacked Jesus actually, which you'll find out more fully next week, but I'm gonna touch on just briefly. See, in Matthew chapter four, right after Jesus' baptism, Jesus was led into the desert and Satan began to attack Jesus. How did Satan do that? What was his plan of attack? What had the father just said about the son? This is my beloved son. He said, your identity is that you are my son. You are my child. What's the first thing that Satan said to Jesus? Jesus, if you are the son of God. If you are the son of God. The father, this is my beloved son. Satan, if you are the son of God. Jesus, are you sure you're in the family? Jesus, maybe you better prove that you're in the family. And you'll find out how that plays out in Pastor Ray's message next week. That's the first thing that Satan tries to do is to get us, get us to question our place in God's family, to get us to question the place that God has given us, the identity that God has given us. And our response to Satan simply is, get away from me. I know that I'm adopted into the family of God. God is pleased with me. And I am here because he wants his salvation to progress in me or to progress through me. See, baptism reminds you that you have a new identity, that you are part of the family of God, that God is pleased with you, and that God has a mission for you to join in on. Whenever you are tempted to find other ways to find pleasing, to find something that makes you feel good about yourself, anything apart from God, you need to remember the thing that God says. You will only find full pleasure in Him, and when you came into His family, He already told you, I am pleased with you. You are my son. You are my daughter. The devil will keep trying to convince you. You need this sin. You need this activity. You need this distraction. You need this other thing to find pleasure. And God says, no, you are my beloved child. And that is why I am pleased with you. And we need to stand on that as God's children. And when we walk that way, day after day after day, God's transforming work in us continues to make us more like Christ and and help us to live out the identity that God has already given us. Because God has said, I have given you everything you need in your new life in Christ. I have made you, called you, commissioned you for service in the kingdom of God. And as a a member of the family of God, now join with me in this mission to declare the kingdom of God to this world, to live out the kingdom of God in this world. Baptism is a marker in joining Jesus and living in the beautiful way because we are all part of God's family, because we have responded to Jesus as our substitute and now can follow him in the leading and the power of the Spirit. If If you are not a Christ follower, if you've never made that decision, to be part of the family of God. You can begin that relationship right now. We initiate that by simply praying that we actually want to put our trust in Jesus. So I'm gonna pray for you. And actually, I'm gonna invite you to pray with me, a very simple prayer. And then 
I want to make a prayer for those of us who are Christ followers as well. So pray with me if you want to invite Jesus to be the leader of your life, the forgiver of your sin, and to join in God's family. Simply pray this. Jesus, come and forgive my, th- my sin. Thank you for being my substitute. Thank you for giving me a new identity. Thank you, me, thank you for taking on my unrighteousness and giving me your righteousness. Thank you for taking on my sin and giving me your life. Come and fill me with your Holy Spirit right now. Just fill me to overflowing so that I can fully understand what it means to be adopted in the family of God and to live that out. Come and be the leader of my life so I can follow you every day and guide me in walking in my identity in community from this day forward. Father, I also want to pray for those who know you, have made a decision to follow you, who are your children or in your family, of those you have said, this is my son, this is my daughter with whom I'm well pleased, but who have listened to the lie of the evil one, who wants to, them to question their identity and their place in the family. Father, I pray for each Christ follower who's questioning their place in the family today. And I pray that they would hear your voice. This is my son. This is my daughter with whom I am well pleased. I also pray they would stand in that place and every time the evil one whispers and says, you need something other than God or you better prove your place in the family or you better work for your place in the family, they would stand on the truth of your word and the truth of the gospel that says, no, my place in the family is secure. Satan, get away from me. And that the Holy Spirit would come and minister that truth. I also pray that you would show us, any person who is struggling today, anything that is standing between them and God, that they need to give over to you, that they need to ask your forgiveness of and to step away from so they can live fully as your child and live out that full identity that you have given us. Father, I thank you that we can be baptized. I thank you that we can declare directionally who we are through baptism, that we are your children. We've put our faith in you and we walk as your children, filled by the Spirit in obedience to your leading. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.